0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. Today we have a special and interactive podcast on prayer. So we encourage you to take some time to find a quiet place to participate as we learn the power and effectiveness of prayer together. Well, today I want to talk to you about praying people. I want to talk to you about people that, that know how to pray. And I, my hope for our church is that it's filled with praying people. It's filled with praying people. I, I think sometimes the reason... Um, that we don't pray isn't that we're not convinced about the power of prayer. We know it's powerful. You know, the reality is everyone knows it's it's powerful. In fact, more people pray than even believe in God. There's just an instinct in us to commune with a higher authority. You know? And and my goal today isn't to, to try and convince you into pray. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into praying more, but but simply I just want to I want to speak to you about the simplicity of prayer and, and what it really is. And and as I speak, I hope that you just get I don't know. The only, the only thought I have is like a fresh breath of prayer in your life, you know? Because I think it will change your faith. I, th- I think it will change your life. I think it will change how you approach circumstances. And James has a lot to say about prayer. And, um, and he is certainly one to speak on it. In James chapter 5, verse 16, I'm just going to read one verse and we're going to go through a couple here. He says this The prayer of a righteous person. And you know that you're righteous not because of your good deeds or your good works. You're righteous because Jesus was righteous. And Jesus imputes his righteousness to you. In other words, he, he gives his righteousness to you, totally and completely unearned by you, totally and completely a free gift by him. That we are lost and we are hurt and we are broken and he is faithful and he is just and he is righteous. And because he took the cross upon himself, took our sin, our shame, and our guilt upon himself, though he was completely undeserving, and died for our sins, he now gives us righteousness, grace, and mercy. So you got to understand that in reading this verse because you might want to count yourself out right at the beginning. You might say the prayer of a righteous person, well, that's not me because I screwed up. No, it is you if you call Jesus your Savior because he's the righteous one. And he makes you righteous and your prayers righteous. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Um, I love that James puts effective there because it's not just power. Sometimes we want to talk about prayer. We want to talk about the hype. We want to talk about the sound. We want to talk about the mighty wind. At church, we want to shout. We want to dance. And I am all for it. I wish we shouted more. You don't wish I danced more. You probably want me to dance less. But I wish we danced more. Church is into the power, you know. Revival night. Fire. I think that's awesome. I think it's so amazing. But prayer is also effective. It's effective. It gets things done when you had no ability to get it done. It goes into places that you weren't able to set, put your foot. And it begins to work and do a work that you could not physically do. Prayer is effective. In fact, I believe prayer is the most effective thing that any human could ever do. Because prayer is when you begin to partner, partner your, let me say, very normal self with an infinite God. It's a, it's a partnership with the Almighty. And, and, and we're, we're obsessed with, with effectiveness, you know. We're, we're trying to eat better. We're trying to, we're trying to live right. We're trying to, you know, get up early. We're trying to hit the gym. You're on, uh, you know, you tried the, the keto diet 13 times. We're all trying to be effective. We're trying to learn more. are trying to listen to pop. We're all obsessed with effectiveness. But might I propose that prayer is the number one thing you could do in your entire life to have an effective life. You want to be effective in your job. You want to be effective with your your spouse, with your children. Some of you have been trying to change your spouse for 13 years. I would propose to pray. It's much more effective than you. It's effective. Get stuff done. The forces of hell can't stop the power of prayer. Prayer goes into government buildings and does what you could never lobby to get being done. Prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful. Because in prayer, you go to the ultimate authority. Above every authority man made, every authority, every demon in hell, when you pray, you go to the ultimate authority, and that ultimate authority loves to move on your behalf. He loves to show off his might, his power. So that's, that's what prayer is. That's why we do it. It's powerful, and it's effective. And today, I just want to so simply just kind of teach you how to pray and bring on a prayer journey yourself, and we'll, we'll see where God brings us. Lord, right now, will you come? And we just speak to us, God. We thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you so much that you have this time set aside for something special. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, in our midst. Do something mighty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. James, the brother of Jesus, is really the perfect man to preach about prayer. He's amazing when he speaks about prayer because he saw Jesus communicate with God for his entire life. And when you are that close to Jesus, you're going to learn something about how to communicate with God. You know, when you grow up in the same household, you're going to figure out how to communicate with God. And do you know that James was so much a man of prayer that it was recognized not just by the early Christians, but it was also recognized by all of the Jewish leaders that valued prayer as well. He was so recognized for being a praying person that he was allowed, even though he was a believer of Jesus, he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, a place reserved only for the high priest. He was allowed to go in and out whenever he wanted to pray because all eight sects of Judaism acknowledge that this man has something special on his life. And when he prays, things begin to happen. Thirty years he pastored the church in Jerusalem, and after thirty years, in ending his letter, he ends it, and he chooses to talk about prayer. He's going to sum up the book of wisdom, and the whole book of wisdom ends on prayer. The, 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 the legend goes, the story goes, that he, he was so much a man of prayer, spending so much time on his knees, they said his knees looked like camel's knees. They were, they were so beat up from the fact that he was constantly on his knees praying before God. You know, I've heard throughout, uh, uh, I've heard many stories about great People. And let me tell you, great people, there's no such thing as great people. There's only a great God. And the closer you get to a great God, you become a great person. And the way you do that is through prayer. And let me tell you, there's so many amazing stories of people that got to know God that would have similar stories. They said of Smith Wigglesworth, the great revivalist healing preacher, that after he died, they went up to his room and they found two indentations about an inch deep into the wood of his room, about a foot apart, and it was in the place that he would pray. You know, I know of my great-grandmother. She was, a, uh, she was a missionary to Zimbabwe for most of her life. She had a rug that she would put beside her bed, and she would get down and pray uh, every single day, multiple days, and she prayed so much that the rug would get worn out. She would throw the rug out and have to get another rug, rug after rug, because that's how much she prayed. But let me tell you, when she spoke about God. She did not speak about a, a myth, a legend, an abstract force, a thing of nature, or a vibe. She talked person she talked about a person who was in the room that she knew. And that comes through prayer. It's so powerful. It is so mighty. And and I think the reason we don't pray sometimes isn't because we don't we don't believe that prayer is powerful. We know it is. And I think it's simply that we don't understand what it is and maybe how to go about it. But let me just tell you simply this. This is what prayer is. Prayer is simply communicating with your creator. That's what prayer is. It's simply communicating with your creator. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a prayer group and we say, all right, you pray. And the guy says, I don't know how to pray. Well, you just communicated to me. Do that to him. Start with saying, God, I don't know how to pray. And let's see where it goes from there. Just say the word Jesus if you don't know what to do. The reality is, you do know how to communicate. Some of us have better communication skills than others, but that's all right. God's the one that gave you your communication skills in the first place. He's not up there judging you on the lack of communication skills you have. He's up there saying, Now I know it's tough, but just keep coming. Just keep coming. It's as simple as that. Prayer is communicating with your Creator. It, it, it doesn't take a, a certain candle being lit. It doesn't take a certain song being played to get you in the mood. I think that's sometimes why Christians don't pray is because we try and make it too spiritual. Seriously. I think we think we need to feel a move before we pray. And that's not how prayer works. It's not how prayer works. It's not how any relationship works. If you're going to make decisions off emotions, you're never going to do it. No, you pray because you need prayer. You pray because you need someone to help you become powerful and effective. You pray because that's, that's, that's how you process. I, I don't know about you, but I found for myself that I am a verbal processor, right? Surprising, I became a preacher, right? I'm a verbal processor. I talk out my thoughts out loud. And sometimes it takes a long time, you know, and I, I didn't really know this about myself until I got married. After I got married, I found out a lot of things about myself. <laughs> I thought I, was, I thought I was doing great, and then I got married, and I got work to do, people, you know? And so now I call my wife all the time, you know, I call her all the time just to, just to think out loud, you know? And sometimes she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I know she's, she's, you know, shopping at Lowe's, uh-huh. I think she mutes me sometimes, you know? I think she mutes me, and then just unmutes, uh-huh, you know, sometimes. And, and I remember I used to do that to my mom, and now it's coming full circle, <laughs> But uh, that's how I am. I don't know how you process. Maybe you process, you know, you think about it over and over and over and over and over and, you, you, you know, can't sleep at night. Maybe the way you process is you have to write things down and, and you have a journal. Maybe, maybe you don't process through things and that's, that's a problem. You know, I, I don't know how you process. But for me, I, I verbally process. Could I submit to you that, that's, that prayer is simply processing. Simply processing. It's simply coming before God and letting him know where you're at, what you need, what you're thinking, what you're hoping, what you're afraid of, what's going wrong in life. It's simply processing it. And can I say this? It's, it's processing you to God. But here's the beautiful thing about prayer. It's also God processing you. You're processing to God, but it comes back around and God begins to process you. And you'll notice if you pray any any time longer than 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, if you pray even for a little bit amount of time, God will suddenly begin to reveal things to you that, that you didn't that you didn't know or, or he'll show you things from another perspective. You'll get a thought that you didn't have about a situation. You say, you know what? Maybe the person said this because of of what they're going through with that. And you think you thought it, but it wasn't. It was in prayer. God's processing you. He's helping you get over the offense that you had with a person that you never really should have had, and he's showing you another side. He's opening a door just a little bit so you can see a different image, and then you're able to now begin the process of forgiving that person that said that thing. That's, that's what God does in prayer. He processes you know, sometimes, you, you, you know, one of the reasons I think a lot of people don't pray is they always feel too tired to pray. But the ironic thing is no matter how, high, how tired you are, if you pray for just a few minutes, you come out of prayer rejuvenated. And, and, then, and then the next time you go to pray, you think, oh, I'm just too tired to pray, not knowing. Part of the process is God begins to give you divine strength. He, he begins to lift your heart up. Maybe you weren't so tired, you were just beat down and you needed some healing, you needed some anointing, you needed some encouragement. That happens in prayer. The prayer is is simply that. It's you processing to God and God processing you. Sometimes he'll convict you and say, you know what? You keep complaining to me about anger, but here's the cause of the anger. You keep complaining to me about lust, but here's the cause of lust. You keep saying, Lord, take away this feeling, but you keep doing this thing which causes this feeling. And only God will be honest with you like that. Only God. Your friend will just be like, oh, I know it, forever. Oh, I'm with you. I hear you. But God will say, it's your fault. Lovingly, lovingly. He'll do that in prayer. And he'll say, let's, let's deal with the cause, not just the consequence. That happens in prayer. And he's so faithful and it's so amazing and it's so normal. It's so real. It's, it's who he is and, and how he communes with us. And so for me, my goal is to pray first in life. That's my, my goal, is, is to become someone that my first reaction is prayer. And this is something that I'm, I should say, like I'm traveling towards. I don't know if I've hit the mark yet, but this is something I'm traveling towards. I want my first reaction to be prayer. Because the reality is many of our first reactions is to flip out or to get angry or to react or to get someone else's opinion or to go online. Our first reaction many times is all natural, you know, and rarely supernatural. Like, my goal is my first reaction to be prayer, but to be honest, many times mine and yours and our first reaction is something totally opposite prayer, and it's like our last reaction is prayer. Like, once we've exhausted all possibilities, we say, now I'm going to pray about it. And we even, like, make it like it's a virtue. After you've tried everything else, pray. No, pray before you try every dumb idea you got. Pray first. You know, I, I want godly counsel, but first and foremost, I want God's counsel. Before I go get godly counsel, let me get God's counsel and then get some godly counsel. That's prayer. And, and I'm telling you, it's a journey. It's a journey where I, I, I'm, I'm trying to uh, move my life in that direction, where I'm beginning to just come before God. Like, like Nehemiah, when he went before the king, he prayed under his breath, Lord, tell me what to say. He didn't say it out loud. He didn't light a candle. He didn't have some beads to help him. He just talked to God. Tell me what to say, Lord. And God gave him the right words to say in front of the right authority at the right time. Let me tell you, that's how God wants to help you. He's saying, pray under your breath. Pray at all times. Pray first. Let me help you through this thing. He's got divine wisdom and he's got divine help to help you through life. And I think sometimes the reason we, we don't pray first is because it's supernatural. And we're, it's just supernatural enough for us to forget about it and live in the natural I would say if we could move ourselves over and include prayer into our natural, I think our natural would become a lot more supernatural. And I think if we had a church that really did begin to pray first, I think we would have quite a church. I think we'd have quite a church. And I think you would have a, a different life. And, and so I think it's so powerful. And this is why James, he speaks to us and he says, look, this is how the church should pray. This is how you should approach God. And he, he gives us uh, some verses. If you can go to verse 13 here, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? He writes that because he's been a pastor for 30 years, and he knows on any given Sunday there are some people that are in some very serious, dire situations. And he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Begin to pray. Begin to pray. But then he flips it, and he says, is is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Let them them sing hymns. Let, Let them sing out. You know, I love this juxtaposition because he's, he's reaching both people on both ends of the spectrum. And on any given Sunday, there are people in this service where it is their absolute worst day of their life, where they're here and you're saying, this is, this is my absolute last resort. There's some people that come here because they're dating somebody or whatever and uh, you're trying to impress them, right? But there are other people that are here, they're saying, I'm in trouble and I need genuine, real help. Good God, this, if this doesn't work, I'm out of options. But there are also people here that you're you're living your best life. You're doing good. You're happy. You're up. And on any given Sunday, you have both people on both ends of the spectrum in the same church service. And so for us, what, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do is create a service that can help those that are in very serious trouble, but also can rejoice with those who rejoice. Can, can get your life on a good track. I don't want you to come to church and every single Sunday I'm saying, I know it's tough, I know it's difficult, I know it's bad, I know it's horrible, but uh, let's just hope we get to heaven soon. That, I don't think that will help. But I do understand that there are some, some people here that are coming and saying, I, I need help. And that's why every single Sunday we will have the altar open and people praying because if you're in trouble, you're at the right place. You're around the right people and we're gonna pray with you. And if you're rejoicing, you're in the right place. You're with the right people. And we're going to rejoice with you. Don't skip the first song just because it's happy. You need that first song. You say, no, no, I'm in trouble. Come and sing your way out of it, and then we'll pray. Amen? Look, he goes on, and talking about prayer, he says, is anyone among you sick? He knows that the reality is we still live in a fallen world, and people are going to get sick. It's a consequence of living in a fallen world. He says, what you should do is call the elders of the church and let them pray over them and anoint them with oil. Anointing people with oil back then was was the um, uh, was the foremost approach of medicine at that time was to do oil. And so what he's saying is call some people that know how to pray and call a doctor. James is saying both. Have medicine and pray and let there be anointing. Let there be anointing. You know, some, sometimes, um, maybe I should say, I don't want to say this thing the right way, but sometimes we only call people to come pray when we're on our deathbed. Don't let it get to that point. You, I want to call, the minute I get sick, I'm calling some, some elders. In other words, some people who are faithful, some people that I know, some members of my crew, and I'm going to ask them to come pray for me, anoint me, right? That they, and, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. If the sickness is attached To sin, it will be forgiven. It's not always attached, but sometimes it is, and you need to be forgiven, and then the sickness needs to be healed. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. He will either raise them up now, or he will raise up in eternity, but make no mistake, the Lord will raise every single one of us up. And in the end of days, when Jesus arrives, all tears will be gone. All grieving will be gone. All mourning will be gone. All violence will be gone we will live in peace and harmony with Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day. That's our hope. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And watch this. Watch this. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins one to another. Don't hide them. Don't hold them back. Don't pretend they're not there. Confess your sins to each other. No, no. I only confess my sins to God. It's just me and God and the Holy Spirit. That's it. No, he, he's saying you need to get some people involved that will actually know not just the best of your days, but when you're in trouble. Confess your sins one to, each, to, one, one to another and pray for each other. Don't confess your sins and then use that as gossip or as fuel or as slander or to tell people's business or to say, oh, we need to pray for them, but let's talk about them first. No, he says, he says, confess your sins and then pray for each other. I, I know What your worst is, but I'm with you. Come on, I'm gonna pray with you. I love you. I'm for you. We're gonna keep praying through this thing. I know the Bible says the righteous man falls seven times. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up eight. It might take us seven or eight times, so we're gonna pray seven or eight times because God's gonna get you out of this thing, and I'm with you through the process. Pray for each other so that you might be healed. And then and then he goes on and says the prayer of a righteous person, it's powerful and it's effective. This is what he says. He says confession, confession, it's a good thing. Confession, it it leads to agreement in prayer. When you confess to someone, he's not saying confess to everyone in the whole world. He's saying to confess to someone that's an elder, confess to someone that knows how to pray confession leads to agreement in prayer. We're not just going to be down about it. We're not going to say, well, you're screwed. We're not going to say, oh, that's it. You might as well get in the grave. That's not, that's not going to be our thing. It's not going to be judgment. There's not going to be gossip. There's not going to be slander. There's going to be confession. Then there's going to be agreement in prayer and it leads to healing. Body, mind, and soul. Body, mind, and soul. I, I think, I think part of the problem is when you, when you don't confess, when you don't get it out there, your soul begins to become sick, corrupted, corroded. Unconfessed sin sickens the soul. And you've heard that phrase, confession is good for the soul. Do you know they say that almost 80% of mental um, issues and diseases and and, and anxiety and, and all of that stems from something that has been unconfessed and undealt with? When you begin to confess you begin to get it out there, and now you can begin to confront this, and you're not confronting it alone, but you're confronting it with someone else, and you're adding in the power of prayer, and all of a sudden, the process begins, and the process of healing begins. Confession begins to get it out there. I, I wonder I wonder if we have a generation that is so filled with anger, and so filled with fear, and so filled with anxiety, I, I wonder if we have a generation that's Filled with stuff like that because they never confess it out. They never get it out. They never get it out. And then if they do get it out, they get it out in a glorifying way. Well, that's just how I am. I'm just I'm just always anxious. No, confess it, but then let's begin to pray about this thing. God, will you restore my anger with peace? God, God, will you change my anxiety to to, to a restfulness? God, will you begin to move in my life? And you begin to pray with someone else. And I believe a process begins. Come on, is this helping you? So simple. It's so simple. Here's my question. Here's my question. Do you have someone that you can be completely honest with and pray with? Do you have someone in your life, one person at least, that you can be completely honest with and pray with? Because you're going to need that person in life. And, and in verse 17, he says this. He says, now, the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And here's, here's how he illustrates it. He says, Elijah was a human being. The King James says Elijah was just a man. He was a man just like any other, even as we are. Elijah was just a person, just like you and just like me. But when he prayed earnestly, the, the, the actual phrase here is when he prayed prayerfully, when he prayed a prayer, that it would not rain. It didn't. It didn't rain on the land, uh, rain, uh, land, uh, rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. When I read this, I know we just read Bible verses like, hey man, Elijah was a man just like us. Wait, Elijah? Elijah was just like me? I know me. I know me. If that's true, that's amazing. And of course it's true because the Bible is completely without error. So I have to believe this, even though it's like, whoa, he was just a normal guy. I mean, Elijah, one time, Elijah called down fire from heaven on a sacrifice. When was the last time your microwave stopped working and you called down fire from heaven? This man know how to pray. He, he outran like, like a chariot. He, just, he just, just got up and he just outran him. This dude's like Usain Bolt. There, there, there's times where he stood boldly. And confronted the king that could have chopped his head off and was bold in his proclamations. Uh, Elijah was powerful. He He was a prophet. He was such an amazing prophet that when John the Baptist showed up, Jesus said about John the Baptist, There's never been a man like him, nor will there ever be a man like him. And all of the people said about John the Baptist, He reminds us of Elijah. That's how powerful Elijah was. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. And, and James is saying, hey, let me, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you something about Elijah. Elijah was the most venerated prophet by the Jewish people. And he says, let me just tell you something about your venerated prophet. They made statues to Elijah. If you go to Mount Carmel, there's a statue of, July, uh, of Elijah. And he's standing over the false prophet of Baal with a sword in his hand. How many people here just have a statue of yourself holding a sword up? I would think this is a special guy. But James says, actually, it was just a very normal person. But when a very normal person begins to pray to a very powerful God, his prayers become powerful and effective. When you pray, you become as powerful as the prophet Elijah. So sometimes I think we say, okay, well, then how do I pray? I think really that's the problem that many times we don't pray consistently because we don't know how. And, and look, that's not... It's not something to be filled with guilt about or contemned about. And actually the disciples came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Because we see what happens when you pray. We see how much you pray, but Lord, will you teach us just how to do it? And Jesus replies saying, when you pray, pray like this. And this is where we get the Lord's prayer. He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it goes through that. All the Catholics could follow me all the way through. He says, pray like this. Listen, he doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray like this. God gives, gives us a model in which we can pray through, but he doesn't give us a mantra that we repeat without our brains. He gives us a model to engage our relationship in and our emotions in and our wants and our desires and our hopes and our fears. He gives us a model. He says, pray like this. So today, I want to give you a model on how to pray. It's called the Acts Prayer Model. It's really a reflective prayer journey. And it starts with adoration. Then it goes to confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And, and if you wouldn't mind, I want to do something kind of unique today, creative. And I want to go through this together. Now, you might be, you know, a little bit nervous, but I'm going to, I'm going to guide you through this. Some people are going to pray for the very first time. And, uh, and I, I think that's an awesome thing. And I think God's going to hear you and answer you. You know, some of you, maybe you've lost your desire to pray. I believe God's going to He's going to anoint you again. You're going to find your desire to pray again. Some of you, it's just going to be a, a breath of fresh air. But but for all of us, I'm believing that this simple way to pray is going to help us not just today, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Me and my wife, we've already been going through this. I'm telling you, this has changed our prayer life. You know, so I want to ask you just in this next few moments, give me 15 minutes. Don't don't get up and, and, and leave now. Just, just stay and watch what, watch what God will do right now. I think it's I think it's really going to be powerful. I got to tell you, I was a little bit nervous to do this because I thought, man, uh, you know, there's some people that maybe it's their first time coming to church, you know, and and I don't know if I'm going to make them pray, but I just, you know, I thought if you're at church, you want to pray, right? I'm not surprising you with prayer. (laughs) We're going to pray and I believe God's going to, God's going to answer. Amen. I want to start with adoration. I'm going to start with adoration. Let me ask you this. How are you reminded of God's greatness in your life? Let me put it this way. When's the last time you were in awe of God for something that he's done in your life? When's the last time you just praise God for who he is? Not not, not, Not necessarily even what he's done for you, but just for who he is. His goodness and his greatness and his strength and his mercy and his might. Will you take the next few moments and will you just pour out your adoration on God? Just be reminded of his greatness in your life. next word we're going to do.
1: We're
0: going to move on to confession. This is the moment where you come before God with the things that are going on in your life. And the Bible says he's faithful and he's just to forgive. It's who he is. I want you to take a moment and think what parts of your life do you need to surrender to God? Maybe the things that you know you've been holding back. Maybe it's the areas in your life that you don't want to go towards and you almost keep back from God because you're afraid that you know, He'll look bad or down on you. But God has a mercy, God. He judges sin, but He gives mercy to us. So I, I want you to take this moment and just maybe surrender those areas of your life to God that you need to. And maybe one of the ways to get there is to ask yourself, when's the last time you felt ashamed? You need to surrender that area of your life to Jesus. You need to accept his mercy. Take the next few moments and just engage in confession before a faithful God. want to pray together right now and just receive his mercy and his grace God I thank you right now God that you've given us grace for these areas that we know we need to surrender to you God I pray right now out of this confession comes forgiveness God right now we receive your great grace and your great mercy Lord God knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive and to change us thank you Lord we honor you today God I want to move on to thanksgiving. This is the part, this is m- modeled off the Lord's Prayer, but this is, this is the part where we, we come before God and we, we just thank Him for all He's done in our lives. It's, it's difficult to be entitled and thankful at the same time. You know, it's difficult to be frustrated with life and thankful for it at the same time. I think it's a beautiful thing when you start to begin to thank God specifically for the things in your life. And I think you'll find that the list pretty soon becomes endless for the things that you have to give thanks to God for in your life. And so, as the psalmist says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, come into his presence with thanksgiving. What are you thanking God for today? What are you thanking God that he's done, that he continues to do in your life? We're just going to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. final word in our our prayer journey today is supplication. Supplication means to ask but to beg to not let up. It's more of like an ask seek knock word. Supplication is a very biblical word so if you have a hard time remembering it just use simply ask. Simply ask. He's a good God and he wants to work on your behalf. So the question I would have is you know, who are you praying for right now? See them come to know the Lord. And what are you believing for in your life? What are, you, what are you praying to see happen one year, three years? What's in your heart that you hope to see with your eyes three, five years from now? What are you believing? Come before God. You know, many times we just jump right to this. But I think it's so beautiful to get here last. After you acknowledge how good he is and how much help we need. And all the things he's already given us now, God. We ask for just this much more. Let's begin to ask God right now.
1: Lord, speak to me now. You have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a